good afternoon. Welcome to Indianapolis. And tomorrow night, Sunday night, starts the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, the Holy Days fall season starts. And as we mentioned, um, the Feast of Trumpets, this is not necessarily a Feast of Trumpets message, but I want to focus on something that is a result of the Feast of Trumpets, something that's sorely needed, something that's desperately needed in the world, and that is peace. Um, if you look in Appendix S in the Faithful Version, Appendix S, it talks about the, the feast days, the holy days of God. And I'll just read it to you. Under the Feast of Trumpets, it has the New Testament, Christ's triumph over Satan and all evil. Christ and the saints return to the earth from the sea of glass. And then the Old Testament, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, plural trumpets, God putting his presence in the temple. And that's another subject um, I've got. I looked into that, but we're going to we're going to just talk about the first part of that and focus more on the result of Christ's return. There's two steps to this. There's the to peace in the world. Now, we have physical peace in general, the, the, the physical, general, temporal uh, peace that can be uh, when there's no war, when people are getting along, there's peace. But Christ said in, in John 14, he said, my peace. I leave with you my peace. That peace is different. That peace involves the Holy Spirit, a relationship with God, getting to know him and moving all the process that we're talking about in conversion and becoming part of the family of God. That peace comes from Christ. So that peace will be had eventually as the Feast of Tabernacles begins and once Satan is put away. So there's two parts to that, and we're going to talk about Christ's return. He has to fight against the world and the, and the armies that Satan has gathered and inspired to come against Christ, put them down. The second step is to bind Satan and put him away, who is the perpetrator of all the sin and difficulties and everything that's going on in the world right now with mankind. He doesn't like God's plan. He wants to destroy it if he can. And uh, he's doing the best. He, he thinks he's doing a good job and it's going to come end in uh, him being uh, put in captivity for quite a while. Uh, he'll be let out again. But uh, And I was going to say, when I was writing, trumpets is the war to end all wars, but it's not. It, it is the war that ends most of the war until Satan's let out again at the end of the, the millennium. And then uh, he's let out for a short time and disrupts the nations of Gog and Magog, or the people up in that area, and come down against Jerusalem again. So uh, in general, it is. So if we turn to Leviticus, we'll talk about, I'm going to show you how this is a war feast, trumpets. There uh, in Leviticus 23, it lists all of the holy days. It starts with the Sabbath. But I want to go down to 23. So in order to have peace, you have to get rid of strife and conflict. You have to get rid of the evil that's in the world. Strife and conflict. 2323 says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath. OK, and that's Sunday or starting Sunday night. Uh, remember, all holy days are called Sabbaths, a memorial of blowing 
of ram's horns, a holy convocation. Also, there were one over the trumpets were blown at least 100 times on that day. It was a reoccurring, ongoing blowing of trumpets throughout the entire day. Now, a trumpet represents one of the things is a, a warning to, to go to war. It is like a call to go to war. This feast is a war feast. Uh, this feast pictures the return of Jesus Christ to the earth with his saints. The saints join Christ in the air on Pentecost. They go to the sea of glass and then they return. Okay. Again, it's a war feast. Uh, they're sounded all day long, this, uh, declaring the sound of war and a warning. Again, you've got to have, in this case, we've got to have a war to have peace because they're not going to quit. Satan is going to quit unless he's uh, defeated. He was defeated in Matthew 4, 4. There where it says man shall not live by bread alone. Before that, he um, went into the wilderness. Satan was uh, trying to tempt him, trying to get him to, to give in. And say, and God, Christ was able to defeat him. It was a spiritual battle that went on. And so he'll defeat him again on the day of trumpets. So the meaning of trumpets is it's about wars and strife that's going on between nations and human beings. The war that's going on between God and his angels and Satan and the men against God. And it's followed by the ultimate victory and peace that is going to come because of the return of Christ and the war that, that takes place and putting away of Satan on Day of Atonement. Again, it's it's like having, I, I mentioned this last, uh, I think it was today, this morning, the days were running together. But uh, there was a movie that John Wayne was in, and I think it was Hellfighters, I think it was the name of it, and they were fighting oil well fires, and uh, it's quite an old movie. But one of the ways, what was really interesting is that they had to take, you couldn't put the fire out, you had to have a, a charge of, uh, I think they put dynamite or something in it, Right at the opening of the of the where the the oil comes out and was on fire, to blow all the oxygen, to take the oxygen out of the air and it shut the fire down. It took that extreme measure to stop stop that fire. Well, Christ will do the same thing with Satan and the armies of the world. Now, he'll, he is that charge, that overwhelming charge that will take the oxygen and, and kill the fire, kill the the uh, efforts that the world is putting against. Christ to, to return and the establishment of his kingdom forever. You know, all men desire peace, but few men desire those things that make for peace. And that's a quote from Thomas Kempis. All men desire peace, but very few men desire those things that make for peace. In Psalm 55, 21, Psalm 55, verse 21, <clears throat> It says, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, we know that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. War was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they are they were drawn swords. So that's a description of the way man is. And we can look at the heart scriptures that uh, we know, Jeremiah 17, 9 and Proverbs 14, uh, let's see, uh, 16, 25. Uh, talk about there's a way uh, 
way of man, but the, the ends thereof are the way of, ways of death, I believe. It's, it's not an exact quote. So again, we, we know that Satan is the god of this world, that he has jurisdiction over the world right now under God. He's allowing him to, to wreak havoc. Second Corinthians 4, 4, God of this world, who's blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the glorious gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Well, that's going to go away on, on this on the day of trumpets and afterwards when Satan is put away. So what is the state of the world today? That's easy for us to just turn on the news. It's it's a mess. There's wars and violence in the world today. I had it pulled an article here. According to the Global Citizen, Global Citizen article back in April the 1st, it says, nuclear arsenals are swelling. Conflict is on the rise. Millions are displaced. International law is disregarded with impunity as criminal and terrorist networks profit from the division and violence. This is the situation the world finds itself in today. The reason for the outbreak of conflict ranges from territorial disputes and regional tension to corporate, cor or, I'm sorry, to corruption and dwelling, dwindling resources due to climate change. And that's interesting. But anyway, <laughs> that's their uh, take on uh, the reason for the outbreak. According to this is all according to the Council on Relations uh, Global Conflict Tracker. Uh, right now, there are currently 27 major conflicts going on in the world. 27. I thought it would have been more. There's another report that was written back in 1990. I thought it was interesting, though. The world's evils have escalated. Okay, it says a recent report in the New York Times carried the headline, global arms sales swell to 30 billion. In 1999, who were the leading suppliers of this vast array of arms? The United States led the way with sales of 11.8 billion. Second was Russia with less than half that. And however, Russia nearly doubled its sales over the previous year. And then came Germany, China, France, Britain, and Italy. The same report continued. It says, as in the past, roughly two-thirds of all arms were sold to developing nations preparing for war. <laughs> Everyone's defending themselves. After two world wars and many other major wars during the 20th century, which left hundreds of millions dead and wounded, one is led to ask, when will the nations ever learn peace instead of war? Good question. Don't think that's uh, going to happen. It's not going to happen without Christ's intervention. And that's what the Peace of Trumpets pictures. Christ tells us what happens, what's going to happen. He got disciples on the Mount of Olives. It's called the Olivet Prophecy, Matthew 24. He tells them what, what is going to happen in the world. Now, they thought it was going to happen shortly after his um, demise, but uh, we know that it's been several thousand, couple thousand years since then, but it's coming up. So let's read about it. Matthew 24. We're just going to cover the four horsemen. 
which is in another section. But what he says here, he says in verse three, and as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him alone saying, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and the complete completion of the age? Then Jesus answered and said to them, be on guard so that no one deceives you. And it's interesting that he would lead with that. For many shall come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you do not let these things disturb you, for it is necessary that all things take place, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in different places. We certainly have seen the pestilence. Now, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. This is just getting wound up, just getting started. Then shall they deliver you up to affliction. And uh, I think Matthew 5, verse, I think it's around 8, talks about persecuted for righteousness sake. And shall kill you. And you shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be led into sin and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because lawlessness shall be multiplied, the love of many shall wax cold. But the one who endures to the end, the one, that one shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. So it shows us several things that are going to happen before the end comes. Now, there's a counterpart to this in Revelation 6. So let's read that as well. We'll start to see a little bit more about this, what's going to happen before the end. It talks about the last days. So in Revelation 6, verse 1, it says, And I looked when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, like the sound of thunder, come and see. Verse 2, And I looked, and behold, there was a white horse. And we'll talk about that white horse in a minute. And a lot of people think that's Christ, and we'll show, I'll show you why that's not. And the one who was sitting on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. And another horse went out that was red. And power was given to the one sitting on it to take peace from the earth. And to cause them to kill one another. And a great sword was given to him. And verse five, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And I looked and behold, there was a black horse and the one sitting on it had a balance in his hand. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures say a measure of wheat for a silver coin and three measures of barley for a silver coin and see that you do not harm or damage the oil and the wine. 
And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living creature say, come and see. And I looked and behold, there was a pale horse and the name of the one sitting on it was death. And the grave followed, followed him and authority was given to them over one fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with death and by the beast of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they held. That's the martyrdom of the saints. Verse 10. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And white robes were given to each of them and represents righteousness. And they were told that they should rest for a short time yet until it be fulfilled that both their fellow servants and their brethren also would be killed just as they, as they had been. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and sun became black as hair of sackcloth and the moon became as blood and the stars of heaven fell and the earth as a fig tree cast its untimely figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the heaven departed as a scroll, sign of the Son of, God, of Man, that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the captains, the chief captains, and the powerful men, and every bond and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said unto the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of his wrath has come, and who has power to stand? It shows the events coming up to Christ's return and his return, his wrath. So the world statistics, here we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but there's a fifth horse as well. You thought about that. There's a fifth horse. World's, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. The world statistics bear out the fact that we need Christ's return, as we saw, to bring peace. And, and uh, peace cannot be had unless that's stopped. So what about this white horse? The white horse we read about in Revelation one, uh, 6 represents religion and false prophets. And there's, uh, you know, some of the five, the five major ones are Hinduism, Judaism. Buddhism, Christianity, and Islam. The red horse represents war. The black horse, death. The pale horse, pestilence, famine is, is in there along with that. If you look at the COVID statistics, for example, things are ramping up. Ramping up. These have been on the scene, man's scene, for as long as man has been around. But it's beginning to escalate as time gets closer to the end. There's always been war. There's always been the false religions. Satan's always been around. Death has always been there. And there has always been sickness and pestilence and famine and drought in parts of the world. But it, it's a ramping up of this, the uh, beginning of sorrows it talks about. So COVID statistics, just to give you an idea. And who, I'm not sure that I can't be positive that these are accurate. I don't think anybody can. Uh, but anyway, it says worldwide new cases 
are six six hundred and nineteen million eight hundred and thirty two and deaths are six thousand five hundred and thirty nine. Oh, I'm sorry, 6,539. And, and then it talks about Europe and Asia. And, but worldwide, that's what's happened. Well, that has ramped up, of course. Well, we didn't have that before and any of the other pandemics, if you want to call it that. So we see that the, the pestilence are really ramp, ramping up. War, 27 wars in the world. Disasters, we've got drought, earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis, etc. You name it. Uh, the pale horse, the famine, um, all these things again are ramping up. So Christ, and also the arms sales that are that are uh, just just waiting for the world to explode. Christ warns of the last days and the need for Christ to return and straighten things out through Matthew 24, Revelation 6. So again, focusing on peace that will come after. Christ returns and the need for him to come at the Feast of Trumpets is the purpose of this, this message. So let's talk about the white horse in Revelation 6. People think that that is, is uh, Christ. It is not Christ. Um, the fifth horse of Revelation, let's call him. Christ does not ride with famine, pestilence, a false gospel like the earlier writers did. His ride is not. Um, the white horse of uh, Matthew. Instead, he's the returning king of kings and lord of lords. Christ rides into the world uh, at the world stage at the moment of the earth's crisis, greatest crisis, and makes war. Talks about going out and conquering. So we see that, that there are two white horses, and that's been a, a confusion for a lot of people. So you have false prophets, and then you have Christ. Christ is completely different. Matthew 24, 22, down further in Matthew, it says, and if those days were not limited, there would be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be limited. So we see that man is not going to annihilate himself. God is not going to allow that to happen. There will be peace. It will truly be the war. And again, it's not the war that ends all wars because there's still one more left. And it will be waged in righteous judgment. Revelation 19, 11. Revelation 19 and 11. Christ comes back. We heard this morning about uh, the slaughter and the carnage and all. And you'd think that a loving God, why would he Why would He let that happen? But it's a righteous judgment. God is love. And the end of that is, is love. Uh, Revelation 19, 11. Let's look at that. It says, now I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So later in Revelation, it describes all the carnage that took place in Revelation 19:17. It says, Revelation 19 verse 17, "Come and gather together for the great for the supper of the great God." Plainly, after Christ destroys these armies that they gathered to fight against him, there's going to be nothing left of, of them, but you know, it's, it's food for the scavenge, uh, scavenging birds. So like the first horseman of Revelation 6, Christ sits on a white horse, and this image in both places symbolizing conquest. Unlike the deception of the first rider, 
Jesus comes with truth. So let's see the differences. So again, in Revelation 19, 13, he says, and he was clothed with a garment dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. And the armies in heaven were following him on white horses, and they were clothed in fine linen, white and pure. Again, another place it says it's the righteousness of the saints. And he wields a sharp sword, which is in other places in Hebrews 12, 412. It's the word of God. Uh, and there will be a, a literal battle after which the true way of God will replace the governments of the world and the nations will be subject to the kingdom of God. The reign of Jesus Christ over the entire world, along with the saints. Unlike the previous four horsemen, which foreshadowed increasing world destruction and conflict and tribulation escalating, Christ's, rider, uh, Christ's ride will lead to a time of peace throughout the, the, throughout the earth. It's necessary for peace to come. In Isaiah, and we all know this, this is a millennial scripture, but it, it's the trump, days of trumpet and atonement are required and necessary for this scripture to happen. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. All these are titles for Christ. He certainly will be the prince of peace after trumpets. And then he says, of the increase of his government and peace, the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with righteousness from henceforth, even forever. And then he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, you can take it to the bank, basically. It is going to happen. So we have peace to look forward to. And we have a whole lot of difficulty before that. But there will be peace. You know, men really do desire peace. Nobody wants conflict. And there are, I guess there are some that love it. But most men don't want conflict and war and disagreement and they want peace throughout the ages men and women have looked and longed for one that would bring peace and we've we've heard about even during jesus day they would still look for the messiah somebody that would bring lasting peace to the world and this is another quote by david g mckay he says only to the extent that men desire peace and brotherhood can the world be made better? Only to the extent that men desire peace and brotherhood can the world be made better. No peace, even though temporarily obtained, will be permanent, whether to individuals or nations, unless it is built upon the solid foundation of eternal principles. Solid foundation. I thought that was a pretty good quote must be built upon the rock solid foundation to have a lasting peace built upon the rock 
Um, and we know the scripture, second Corinthians. Let's see. Is it, uh, 10 4? Is it second or first Corinthians? 10 4. They built upon, uh, the rock, you now spiritual rock, which led them, Israel, which was Christ. It tells us what the rock is. And in, uh, Matthew 7, around 24, 5, 6, 7, right in there, it talks about building a house on the rock instead of on sand. And that is a principle, even in building, physical building, that you build on solid foundation. Peace cannot come unless it's built on Christ. So Matthew 28 tells us what to do today. Christ left the disciples. As he left, one of the demand or the commandments that he gave them or directives, the one of the charges he gave them in Matthew 28, 20 was, it says 18 says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and he talks to us now, even be, in other words, he's going to give us that power and authority. Therefore, go and make disciples in all nations and spread this out to the world, change the hearts and minds, turn people to God, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the completion of the age. Another one says in Matthew 24, 21, further on and past the uh, the description of the difficulties, the seals that are coming. Matthew 24, 21. And then shall there be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be again. And if those days were not limited, I read this before, there would not be any flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be limited. So Christ is going to come along with his saints on white horses and fight against the world and Satan and bring everlasting peace and of his government that peace will increase and never end. but just grow and grow and grow. Revelation 14, verse 20. Let's start in 18. Revelation 14, 18. And out from the altar came another angel who had authority over fire. And he called with a loud voice or loud cried out loud to one who had a sharp sickle. And he said, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the earth because her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in a sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast its fruit into the great winepress of the wrath of God, talking about trumpets. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood spew out from the winepress as high as a horse's bridles to the distance of a thousand six hundred furlongs. That's 180, uh, 180 uh, miles, I think. So we understand that these events are coming. We see it in several places. God's plan for mankind, we can read about it, the holy days, picture that. Picture the, the kingdom of God, God coming, the purpose for mankind, the purpose for Christ to come originally as God in the flesh, and then second, to come as God conquering God and king. Second Peter, so what, what's our part in all this? What do we want to do? What, what should we do? We already saw that we're to 
to go out and to spread that to the world, spread the seeds, if you will, and let God bring those who he will in to that first fruit situation before trumpets, and then all mankind after that. So 2 Peter 3 talks about, you know, Hebrews 12, 29 says that God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. Second Peter three talks about what will happen to the physical. He says, and now first one, beloved, I am writing this second epistle to you in both. I am stirring you up your pure minds by causing you to remember in order that for you to be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the prophets and of the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken to us or spoken by us, the apostles. Verse three. He says, knowing this first, that in the last days there will come mockers walking according to their own personal lust. And think about these. And asking, where is the promise of his coming? He's not coming. That's all a bunch. That's fairy tales. That's all. That's not happening. For ever since the forefathers died, everything has remained the same as from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. He's not coming. But this fact is hidden from them. They themselves choosing to ignore it. That by the word of God, the heavens existed of old and the earth came forth out of water and amid water. You know, if there's a witness, the earth witnesses to God. God doesn't do anything without a witness. But people are blind to it because they want to be. Verse six, by which the world at that time, having been deluged with water, had itself been destroyed. But the present heavens and earth are being held in store for, by his word and are being reserved for fire in the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So even though they have their heads in the sand, they're going to have a, a penalty to pay. Verse 8, now, beloved, do not let this one fact be hidden from you. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not delaying the promise of his coming, as some in their own minds reckon delay. Rather, he is long suffering toward us. Not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. However, the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night in which the heavens itself shall disappear with a mighty roar, and the elements shall pass away, burning with intense heat, and the earth and the works in it shall be burned up. Okay, so we know that. We know that's a fact. Then he says in verse 11, Since all these things are going to be destroyed, what kind of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It's a good question. Looking forward to and striving for the coming of the day of the Lord of God, during which the heavens being on fire shall be destroyed and the elements burning with intense heat shall melt. But according to his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. For this reason, beloved, since you are anticipating these things, be diligent so that you may be found by him, by him in peace. 
spotless and blameless. And bear in mind that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. He doesn't want any to perish. Exactly as our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has also written to you. As he has also in all of his epistles speaking in them concerning these things in which some things are difficult to understand, which the ignorant and unstable are twisting and distorting. As they also twist and distort the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. We see that every day. I see that every day. Therefore, beloved, since you know this in advance, be on guard against such practices. So watch out. Be on guard. Have a love of the truth. Lest you be led astray with the error of the lawless ones and you fall away from your own steadfastness. Verse 18. Here's our charge. Rather be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. That is the way you escape, if you will, what's coming. Not that we do it because of that, but wouldn't you rather be on the white horse riding behind him than down on the ground? <laughs> Being the the, uh, the uh, brunt of the, the force that's coming. You build our house on the rock. May I mention in Matthew 7, 24, you want to make a note of that. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 4. They all drank of that same spiritual rock, but they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Building on that foundation, he's the rock in which peace must come, which on which peace must be built. The government will be built on that on peace, the prince of peace. He's a righteous judge of nations. And we see judgment being twisted and, and distorted today. Micah 4.3 says, Micah 4.3 says, then he will judge between many people and arbitrate for strong nations far and wide. Then they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That's Micah 4, 3. Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. And this is interesting. I'll read it. Uh, and it shall come to pass in the last days. That's what we're talking about. The mountain of the Lord's house. That's that Isaiah 9, 6. Shall be established in the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. And mountains and hills picture governments, nations. And many people shall go and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's where that government will be set and set up and it will increase from there. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. So this is going to be a reality. And, you know, men want that. They really do. And a, a famous statute in the United Nations in New York City 
depicts a man beating a sword into a plowshare. I know you've seen that. I have a picture of it here. I wish I could show it to you. It's based on the Bible principles and prophecies and what we're talking about, peace coming, the hope for peace. In uh, Isaiah 2, verse 4, and Micah, we just read, it says, let us beat swords into plowshare. There's a, 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 a sign underneath it says that. And then it has the following passage. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Peace to all nations. No more war. Because the prince of peace will be ruling. How and when will these words be fulfilled? Well, we see in a, tomorrow night the beginning of that. By whom? Jesus Christ. And this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be amazing. We talk about, you know, we used to talk about the wonderful world tomorrow, what it will be like. <laughs> it has been the hope of men to someday have peace on the earth. No more war, no more pain, no more suffering caused by man's inhumanity to man. Haggai 2, verse 5, 5 through 9. Haggai 2, verse 5 speaks about desire, the desire of all nations. It talks about the desire for peace that men have. Through the prophet Haggai, God sent a message of comfort that has been ages, ageless. It speaks to the world at a time of great calamity today, mentioned in Revelation. But it says, Haggai 2, verse 5, my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. God tells us, don't worry. Don't worry what man can do. I'm with you. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, I will shake the heaven and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. Now, what is that? They will come to the desire of all nations, and I will fulfill this temple with glory. I will fill this temple with glory, the glory of God. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now, he's going to have peace. It's desire of all men, and it's going to fill the temple, New Jerusalem, Acts 2.17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even upon my servants and upon my handmaids, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors and smoke, talking about the time of the end. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isaiah 44, 3, talking about the Holy Spirit coming after and the peace that follows, the desire of all men. For I will pour water upon him who is thirsty and streams upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offspring. And Joel 2, 27. Joel 2, 27. 
and you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be ashamed. Verse 28, and afterward it shall be that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and young men shall see visions. And I will also pour out my spirit upon the servants and upon the handmaids in that day. So Feast of Trumpets pictures that peace that's going to come, the establishment of the kingdom of God, the increase of that government, and the peace that will last forever. But there has to be a war first because man's heart is set to do evil. And Satan has stirred that up. And he is the perpetrator, he and his demons. And Christ will come along with us behind him. <laughs> he will put, put this down and then put Satan away. Usher in the kingdom of God. What a wonderful day. First coming, Christ came to save all mankind from the death, from death in their sins. The second coming, Christ will come to give the world peace and to save the world and put Satan away, the perpetrator. Luke 2, 14 talks about um i'll just i'll just come down in here verse 11 for today in the city of david a savior was born to you who is christ the lord <clears throat> now this is a sign for you you shall find a babe wrapped in swallowing clothes lying in a manger and suddenly there was an angel with multitude of heavenly hosts praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and peace on earth among men of goodwill. And notice that it, it specifies men of goodwill. Christ later said in John 14, 27, he said, my peace, and I mentioned this earlier, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives it to you, but let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be uh, afraid. That peace comes through the Holy Spirit. Peace comes through Satan being put out, whether it's in our day as first fruits, through putting out sin, overcoming it, through the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ to cover our sins. And also in the future, when that spirit will be poured out on all those after Satan has been put away. Who is the desire of all nations? Christ is this desire mentioned in Haggai. It says uh, in uh, Isaiah 2, 2, again, the Bible indicates that this turning to peace would be in the final part of the days, the latter days. As a consequence of that, the peace is abundant. Uh, Isaiah 54, 13, it speaks of that time in the future when peace would be abundant, would be forever. But not only forever, but abundant. And all the children, verse 13, all your children shall be taught of the Lord. And the great shall be the peace of your, and great shall be the peace of your children. Well, you can't say that today, can you? <laughs> In righteousness, you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and far from terror, for it shall not come near you. Behold, they may gather together against you, but not by me. Whoever shall gather against you, he shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created a, the smith who blows the coals in the fire and who brings out a weapon for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy 
No weapon that is formed against you shall prevail. All the armed sales that we see today, they're not going to prevail. And every time that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. We're going to see the vials poured out from the sea of glass. We're going to get on the horse and come with him. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will, out of his mouth will come vengeance. But we'll be there to see it. Revenge, and if you want to call it that, but vengeance of the Lord. No weapon formed against you shall prevail. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the inheritance. This is the inheritance of my servants of the Lord. For their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Christ is the desire of, of all nations. And that's what the nations really long for. People really want peace. They don't want war. They don't want disease. They want a chance to live and love and grow old. Every man with his vine under his fig tree. And we want that too. We want that from a spiritual standpoint. We'll be in spirit as gods, as first fruits. But we want to see the rest of the world in peace as well. Revelation 14 says, and I looked, Revelation 14, verse 1, and I looked and beheld the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their forehead. And I then I heard a voice from heaven like sound of many waters and like the sound of great thunder. And I heard the sound of lyre players playing their lyres, and they were singing a new song before the throne. And before the four living preachers and the elders, and no one was able to learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they were virgins, and they are the ones who followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased with his blood from among men as firstfruits to God and the lamb, and also those who died in faith. All right. And then we go through that. That's another section. And no God was found in their mouths, for they are blameless before the throne of God. First fruits. We are to grow in grace and knowledge in order to assist and serve along with Christ as he comes and establishes his kingdom on that day. After Satan is put away, after he has come and fought against Satan. We have an inheritance, and we must diligently pursuing that. What is that? What is that inheritance that we have? Real quickly, what is that inheritance? If you turn to Romans, Romans eight, Romans eight, verse fourteen through seventeen. I'll read that real quickly. It says, "For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God." Now you have not received a spirit of bondage again into fear. But you have received the spirit of sonship, whereby we call out Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness conjointly with our spirit, testifying that we are the children of God. Now, if we are children, we are also heirs, truly heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer together with him, so that we may also be glorified together with him. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared 
with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Sometimes we read over this and we don't think about what it's really talking about and getting it in picture with the, uh, the events that are going to happen. For the earnest expectation of the creation itself is awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. You can read uh, Acts 3. I think it's Acts 3.21. Restitution of all things. Okay. Uh, so we are to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take care of the things of itself. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Okay, and the zealous ones struggle. It says that they, ta they take the kingdom. It means it's going to be a struggle for us, but we will do it if we hang in there. Okay, I'll try to get down here. God is the author of that piece. He's not the author of confusion. Um, everlasting peace can only come from the Prince of Peace. He says in John 16, 13, when he's talking to the disciples, 13, I'm sorry, 1633. These things that I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the Prince of Peace. God is in full control. This is the good news of the world tomorrow. The good news of the Feast of Trumpets, good news, God all allows everything that is happening to occur in fulfillment of his prophetic word and his end time plan for mankind. Now, I end with this last scripture, Revelation eleven fifteen. Revelation eleven fifteen. One day he'll stand and he'll look over and he'll say, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and the, his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever, and we will reign with him as kings and priests on the earth. So I look forward to that day, and I hope you do too.